Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Go. Release them, Ariel. My charms I'll break, their senses I'll restore, and they shall be themselves. I'll fetch them, sir. Ye elves... Of hills, brooks, standing lakes and groves, and ye on sand with printless footstep roaring war, the dread rattling thunder, have I rifted Joe's stout oak and given fire made shape. This rough magic I hear abjure, and when I have required some heavenly music, I'll break my books. He'll drown my cloak. Welcome to The Plays The Thing. I am Tim McIntosh, and I am not joined by Heidi White, but by two special guests who I'll introduce in just a moment. What you just heard was Emma Ferminger playing the part of Prospero, giving the famous closing monologue speech at Bear Creek School's production of The Tempest. So a little bit of background. I have been doing some coaching in the evenings at Bear Creek School in Seattle, which is not far from me. And I saw a poster on the door of the production of a production of The Tempest. And we had just finished doing the podcast discussions on The Tempest. And I thought that might be interesting to interview maybe Prospero and the director. So I ran into Emma who played Prospero, and she introduced me to Mr. Mack, Jared Mack, and now I'm sitting here with the both of them. Hi, you guys. Thanks for being part of the program. Thank you for having us. Thank um, you so much. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So I'll just tell you guys a little bit about the podcast. It's mainly, it's a literary podcast. Mm-hmm. We oftentimes, probably most often, we do novels, contemporary novels, maybe like some 19th century novels. But from the play, excuse me, from uh, Close Reads, that's the name of that podcast, we started kind of an offshoot called The Play's The Thing. And so we're gradually making our way through Shakespeare's canon. Now, I'm the guy who loves to talk about 
productions of Shakespeare mm-hmm. rather than just the text of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So I get to talk with you guys mm-hmm. and we're going to focus, we're going to talk a little bit about the text, but really I just kind of want to hear like how'd the show go? You know, yeah, like you yeah. just finished with a show. Mm-hmm. I saw part of it online. I loved it. I could not believe how good the production values were. It was a high school production. I could not believe how high the production values were, which is a credit to you, Jared, Mr. Mack. Um, tell me, Emma, how did, how'd it go? <laughs> <laughs> I would say it went very well. Um, there were four shows total and I was double cast. So I did two shows, um, the first and the last. And the first show, I was very concerned about having my lines memorized. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to do the show and it was, it was great. And I was Prospero, but I was not Prospero in that yeah. sense. Um, Saturday, I really, I, uh, what's important to me is that I take a lot of time before to just sit and breathe and think about nothing. Yeah. Cause that's really what helps me to get into this space of becoming someone else, especially someone who is Prospero, very different than me. I'm yeah. not, I don't tend to be an angry person. Um, I don't think I'm manipulative, <laughs> uh-huh. but you know, it's just a different space to be in. And so I was able to reach that on Saturday. I feel. When you, when you say on Saturday, I was Prospero. So part of that is like, you just, you were comfortable with the lines. Mm -hmm. Um, what are the other things that made you feel like, Oh, I was really, I was him on Saturday. I think that would be the second half of the show. Yeah. Because the first half of the show, I kind of been able to, get down and how I deliver and my understanding with the interactions. But the second half of the show is really what was tricky for me for a lot of time, because it's where you start to see Prospero change in his relationship with Ariel and with Caliban. And that was a difficulty for me to figure out the distinction between the two and also just how to forgive Antonio in that story arc and how to release that power. So I would say the second show, I was able to really kind of unpack on Saturday more in my portrayal, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I loved what I saw. I loved the video recording that you guys captured. I love what you guys did. I thought you were fantastic. Um, Jared, Mm. I assume this is not your first Shakespeare. This is not (laughs) your first Shakespeare show. I'm sure of that. This is my first time directing Shakespeare. No kidding. Okay. So a lot of our listeners are obviously curious about Shakespeare, and there's a really high number of teachers and classical educators, administrators that listen to the show. And I, we get questions all the time about tackling an actual production. What advice would you give? Someone's like, they want to do, maybe it's not The Tempest, maybe it's Romeo and Juliet or Midsummer Night's Dream, and they're working with capable high school students what advice would you give them? The first advice I would give is um, make your actors that are not in the scenes watch blocking. Uh, We spent a lot of time this semester casting, mostly because I, this was my first semester at Bear Creek and I really wanted to know the spirit of my students before I start giving somebody a a task like Prospero or Miranda. And so we took a lot of time with that, which meant that we were kind of always in a hurry to get this show up. And what I would do is divide and conquer. I would let 
Stefano Trinculo and Caliban go rehearse text while I blocked Miranda Ferdinand and Prospero. Mm. The issue became that it took the actors too long to fit, to, to figure out where they fit in the story and to um, just based on two or three reads, not able to um, really catch the story arc. Mm. And I think once we started getting closer into runs and the other actors would see their colleagues and say, oh, one, that is, that is what's happening in the plot and why my scene is important. Yeah. And also, oh, that's the standard of excellence that we're going after. One of the things that I noticed when I have acted, that I'm a much better actor when I'm on stage with someone, to your point, Jared, another actor that actually is listening to my lines and not just waiting for their lines, which is the great temptation because you love to say your lines. Actors love to say their lines. And if you're just waiting to say their li- your lines, the other actor can tell. One of my f- best friends in Eugene, where I've done a lot of acting, was a guy named, is a guy named Dan, a great actor. And when I was on stage with him, I was such a better actor because he was such an avid listener, a great listener. And every, he made everybody better. So anyway, I hear what you're saying. Um, this is a question for both of you guys. So when Heidi and I were talking about The Tempest, one of the things that we talked about was this question of who is Prospero? And it seems like there's two ways that you can kind of cast him. And we actually sh- like played audio of two different actors playing, mm. doing very different interpretations of Prospero. Um, we'll call one of them this sort of, like you said, Emma, the narrator. Mm-hmm. Or I, I call him maybe he's the puppet master. Yeah. He has this ability. He can stand back from all the other actors and all the other roles, and he kind of controls them to get what he wants. But he's not really emotionally invested in the play. Then there's the other way, which is, no, he's like every other character. He's fully emotionally invested in what's happening here. The difference is he has, he has power that they don't. He has these magical powers mm-hmm. that the others don't. But that's really the only difference between he and even a character like Caliban. And I was wondering if you guys talked about that in preparation. How did you tackle the question of who is Prospero? Um, I would say one of the things I'm very grateful for is that you didn't force a Prospero upon me. You let me come to it organically and naturally. And initially what I did is I researched, you know, who is Prospero. And I found... I came across two interpretations, like you said, narrator or someone with the character arc and emotions. And I was like, for sake of enjoyment for my acting, I was not going to take the narrator route. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do something fun. Um, and so I wanted to embrace his character arc. And I think the proof that he was that kind of character to me was, um, I've mentioned this before, his joy mm-hmm. and that he is not someone who is not emotionally invested. He is emotionally invested. And at the beginning, he has joy from using his powers to, you know, get revenge and to assert his power over Ariel and over Caliban. And um, over the course of the play, you know, Miranda and Fernand fall in love and he kind of realizes that that is a real love. And he sees Ariel continue to love him. And he even asks Ariel, Ariel's opinion at one point about himself. Mm. And that is a huge sign of him showing love and respect. And he finally just 
gets joy out of forgiving his brothers and or his brother. And that's to me what stands out yeah. about him as a human being. <laughs> yeah. I guess. If Mr. Mack had come to you and said, Hey, I want you to I want you to play it as a distant narrator. I don't want you to be you know, like really as emotionally involved as the other characters, you're kind of standing back. Mm-hmm. What would you have done? That's a good question. Um, I would have complained under my breath. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I, there will always be directors and people in authority that will come across in life that will have that creative vision that I have to stick to. And I think I would, for the sake of, you know, learning opportunity, I would try to stick through it, but I would not be able to, I would, I would in the performances, it would leak out of me a little bit of personality, um, in my portrayal. So I would do my best. I truly hope and think, but I know I wouldn't be able to do it successfully. (laughs) Um, Jared, was your intention to just let it develop organically and see what you got? Yeah, there were, Emma has a much um, different range um, as the other actor that played Prosper and the other two performances. Mm. They read very, very different. Um, Emma, uh, I hope you're okay with me sharing mm-hmm. this. Emma feels like when she enters a space of her colleagues, there's a sense of ease of being a leader, of being yeah. in charge. And our other Prospero is a very quiet spirit, um, a little, uh, less certain of where she stands uh, amongst her peers at times, but also has like a very unique um, kind of voice. Yeah. And uh, I was really interested in how I could watch them be different and how they watch each other. And there are influences of that, but, but at their core, they're very different leaders, both leaders, but very different in how they do so. Um, and so I wanted to give them as much space and freedom uh, with that. There were oftentimes where Emma would say, oh, what if I do this? And I'm like, just do that. Mm. I will tell you if things aren't working. Mm. Yeah. And um, most of the time as a director, I try to get out of the way, right? Out of Shakespeare's yeah. way and out of the actor's way. Yeah. And then um, make sure that the, the arc of the story is, is set up in a way that the next scene is imperative because of the way this scene ended. Uh, and but I, fortunately, the, the nice thing about taking three weeks to cast mm-hmm. was we got the right people. Yeah. And um, I was able to kind of let their instincts go yeah. and, and kind of take over in that. Um, also, in, in, um, we're 47 minute rehearsals, four days a week. And we, in. You only had 47 minutes mm-hmm. rehearsals for four weeks with one day of tech from eight to one. And you had how many weeks of rehearsals? We, uh, that would be, we had three weeks before we cast the show. I think that makes eight weeks of 47 No way. Yeah. And so about three and a half weeks. <laughs> Can I, sorry <laughs> yeah. to interrupt you, Jared. So like for people who don't know, I think like a good professional theatrical run not necessarily in New York, which I think would have a shorter production or a shorter rehearsal time. For me, it's always been five weeks minimum, six weeks normally, and minimum minimum three hours a night. Yeah. So you have three weeks of rehearsal at, at 20, 20 hour weeks is 60 hours 
we had nowhere near 60 hours. Oh, I'm even more impressed now. That's really, <laughs> really admirable. Yeah. We have two amazing assistant directors where I, some of the divide and conquer, we were able to get a lot of stuff done. Um, Drew Armstrong and Laura Wilson, um, they are teachers here and they love theater. Mm. And so they asked specifically to have the block open for theater and it allows us to do, to take the kind of risks to do things like the Tempest. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's a luxury for sure. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Emma to begin with. What was the weekend like for you? I'm an actor. And so in the director's side of things, you're, you have so little control over what happens once the show opens. Uh, my role really was um, to convince myself that they had it. And then with each performance, they convinced me more. Yeah. And um, to get off the headset and to enjoy the growth that they've made this semester. Yeah. To look, to step back and look at it visually and say, oh, I love this and this is how we can improve. I think, uh, could I have done it over? I would have had one more day of tech, one more Saturday of tech. Huh. Uh, because I did spend some time worried about... Explain what tech... I'm just... Great. I know what that is. Great. Tell our listeners what tech is. Tech is all of the things that are happening on stage that are not the bodies moving. So if a set piece is coming in and the lighting and the sound design that comes from backstage or in the booth, um, how all of those pieces fit and add to the play without making you think about them. Mm -hmm. You still want to have your focus on what's happening on stage um, for example, with a storm, we had a student who um, had this great idea of building a, um, a sort of uh, a lightning sheet, a thunder sheet out of, out of metal mm -hmm. and mallets. And he put it on an A-frame wood and in the back, we put a tiny mic next to it. And every time there was a storm brewing, he would rattle that thing. Oh, that's and, clever. Uh, and we would use that for sort of natural sound design. Or there were multiple times where the aerials would come in and to add to sort of the, their um, fighting spirit, when the, the aerials become more militant mm -hmm. as the play goes on, he would add just a very subtle, uh, we had this like toy bongo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he would hit that thing and it, it sounded, it sounded gritty and cheap and, and all of the ways that Prospero is manipulating it. There's a, there is a sense of false security yeah. to it. And so we yeah. didn't want, we wanted the sound design to kind of match that. Um, and so that's, you know, a blessing of working with students that, that, you know, love that, um, the side of it, but yes, uh, because we had one day from eight to one to run our tech, there were a lot of question marks yeah. going into it. And obviously um, we felt like we had put together uh, uh, what was uh, something that really supported the show, but also uh, we wanted to balance taking some risks and making sure everyone was safe. And um, we did have one snafu where we had this mesh netting um, catch on yeah. the big unit that um, starts as the ship. And as the scene change happens, it turns around, it turns into Caliban's cave. Uh, it, it was great. Very it was ambitious. So great. It was very ambitious. And we, of the four shows, we had one show where it snagged yeah. on the set, uh, snapped a piece, and we weren't able to use some of our entrances stage right. And that oh, was a lesson. Uh, it was a lesson for our actors on, uh, oh, we're, we're now improvising where we enter because we did not want actors going under. We basically built this gangplank that went from one level of the ship to the other. Yeah. And actors could go up and down it and they were sliding down ropes off of it. It was, it was very, uh, very ambitious and fun. And then once, once it cracked, it was uh, a no-go for that show. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, and, so, and they had to figure it out. 
Your actors right. had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so there's part of me as like, oh, you know, my brain's going, uh, what, if, <laughs> what is my liability here? And all, all of the liability. And also, um, how do I stay calm and focused so my actors stay calm and focused? Yeah. And, uh, know that we're going to keep going with the play in the safest way that we possibly can. And yeah. Your, your job is to, to remain focused when you're out there. Um, we got a little bubbly energy wise after that show and it took us kind of uh, some, some time together to just breathe and come back from that. Bubbly. Uh, you could tell that there was a nervous energy and a nervous excitement and also being tired doing a two hour and 10 minute play four times in two days mm-hmm. for a professional actor is a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who was also in school and also has AP classes and is playing sports. And <laughs> I know these yeah. guys haven't familiar, slept. Emma? They haven't, they have not slept yet. Yeah. Um, you know, I know how hard they're working and, uh, and to, to take that tired and nervous and, um, youthful energy and channel it back into a fourth performance. And they really did rally and have their best performance. Yeah. The last one. That's great. So I'm going to ask a closing question, but one question before they close the question is like, what are you guys doing next? <laughs> um, but just kind of a fun question. Do Ferdinand and Miranda make it out in the, like, they're going to go back to the real world. Mm-hmm. She's never seen a man other than her father and Ariel and Caliban. And now she's fallen in love with, by the way, is a side note, you cast my, one of like my soccer players is Ferdinand. And I didn't, I had no idea. It made me so happy when I saw him playing Ferdinand. I was like, <laughs> he can do everything. So Logan, you get a shout out on a podcast. You were <laughs> terrific, buddy. Um, do they make it? What do you think? That's an interesting question. Um, my first thought is to go to the text and I, in one of my last lines to Alonzo, I'm talking about returning to Naples or Milan. (laughs) And I say, um, I hope to see the nuptial of these, our dear beloved solemnized and where I will see compared to, I hope to see. Yes. That's, that's some distinction that he was, I'm sure purposeful with. Yeah. So I guess I would say we are not meant to know, but that is something that I don't know if, if you're true. gonna bet, if you're gonna bet some money on it though it sounds Emma like you're saying I mean yes. realistically I would say no because I mean back then it was not weird but she was so young and she did not have an education but or like she had an education from me yeah. <laughs> but she did not have the potential to study or explore and knowing Miranda and the curiosity that she has and how deeply she feels she would not want to immediately get married and have mm, children. Mm. She would want to keep studying. She would want to practice magic like I did, I'm sure. I don't know. She would want to do more, I feel like. I say, yeah. I'm not sure. What do you think? I think they make it. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. I think she inherits her father's stubbornness. Huh. And I think she has the resolve and the grit required to make a lifelong companionship work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Ferdinand is uh, kind of happy to have somebody with that kind of strength and determination to, uh, to keep him on track. Yeah. Um, I also think about uh, kinds of relationships and friendships that are formed in times of trauma. Um, for example, with little kids, the first time they learn to attach 
is a really, really big deal. Mm. And I think about people who, um, for example, Ferdinand believes that his father is dead and to have something that can, can That's allow you point. joy during that That's a great type point. of trauma. Um, it's not something that you can let go of easy. Yeah. That, that became uh, a purpose in a time in his life where he might not otherwise have had it. Yeah. I never thought of that. It's funny because I, I kind of divorce Ferdinand from his father once the play begins because they just, you never see them on stage. Yeah, I did that too. Yeah. But it's easy. It's like, it's easy mm-hmm. to not see them as yeah. relations. But to have the reunion at the end, if you can remember that that mm-hmm. is a driving relationship, a severed relationship that's really driving the play forward, the reunion of those two men is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. But I never thought mm-hmm. about, yeah, he thinks he's lost his father. And so kind of conjoining with Miranda at that moment, mm-hmm. what a huge deal for him. What's next for you, Emma? Um, that's a good question. Continuing Bear Creek drama. That's for sure. Um, do you have a, do, have you already chosen your play for next season? Mr. Mack has chosen. It was the Pied Piper. Of- the Pied Piper of Valley Junction by Valley. Jack Frakes. It's a uh, folk drama. It takes place in 1910. Yeah. It's about a teacher who moves to a town in the Midwest. That is, um, a single room schoolhouse and they are rejecting Dancing? His, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds, that sounds like a familiar plot no, no, but they probably are projecting that. Uh, they're rejecting um, his, his sort of liberal arts education. Huh. And you have uh, some really nice themes of uh, bullying um, without being heavy-handed. Yeah. Um, he finds a pupil that, is, um, that has a speech impediment and starts asking people in town for um, support for books to help him train, uh, train his, his instruments so that he can, he can lose some of that speech impediment mm-hmm. and the town pushes back because it costs money. And so then he, he gets very smart. He says, well, the new library will be named after the person who, who will support oh, buying these books. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's a really uh, interesting story in, in education and politics. Um, there's some great town gossips, some people looking for a second chance at love uh, and it has 23 characters, which oh, wow. when you have a class of 34 right. students, part of part of your hunt goes down to how do I not double cast the entire play? Yeah. Uh, and, and that, uh, and it's just, it's a really nice, it's a really nice uh, story. I think it, it will be challenging because it's not, it's not a play that you can just tackle with energy. Mm. There's some, some mm-hmm. subtlety and intricacy to it that I think, will take some really deep listening and really trusting um, the actors, trusting that they're enough. Yeah. And, and um, there's, there's no spectacle. You can't rely where a lot of the Tempest, you know, coming in, if you can get blown around in the wind for a little bit yeah. and, and project for me, we have, you know, we have something, but yeah. um, obviously not with, with some of the characters of Prospero among them, but yeah. The play is set in 1910, but is it, is it a contemporary play? It is play? a contemporary play. It's written in 2007. And um, I don't know any of the other works by the playwright. It was written by, very beautifully, eloquently written, but it's written by a high school theater teacher. No kidding. Who needed to cast 
23 yeah. to 40 students. I don't really have. Right, right. Um, yeah. Say the name of the play. I'm just Jack thinking. Frakes. The name is Jack Frakes. Jack Frakes. Okay. And the play is The Pied Piper of Valley Junction. Sounds great. I'm excited. Sounds great. I'm really excited. I'm Emma, excited. what do you have? Do you have a Shakespeare role that you really want to play this role in the next five years, whether at Bear Creek um, or otherwise? I would say Lady Macbeth. Yeah. Um, I've touched on her a little bit in the speech and debate events here, but obviously in today's circuit of forensics, Shakespeare is not well liked. So that was only for one tournament, but I think her lack of sanity is just so appealing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I don't know. I think it would be, I wouldn't know until I really studied the role and studied her specifically, but Mm. we read it in um, literature last year and I was very intrigued by her um, and by her role as a wife of, if that was motivated her at all, or if it was purely for her want for power, just that kind of balance is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you get it. That's fun (laughs) an opportunity to play it. She's, she's absolutely terrific. Hey, that's all I've got for you guys. I really appreciate the time. This is really fun. And I'm kind of hoping that you guys do a Shakespeare play that's in our (laughs) lineup for the next year. So this is a heads up for listeners. Um, David is going to announce this through all the social media accounts pretty soon. But our lineup in no particular order for next year is, uh, excuse me, not Measure for Measure, Merchant of Venice, As You Like It, Perhaps Romeo and Juliet, and one of my favorites, and no one ever performs it, and no one ever knows about it, Coriolanus, which I cannot wait to discuss that one. So those are some of the plays that are on tap for, oh, 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 and A Midsummer Night's Dream also. So that's what's heading your way. Um, remember, you can follow us on Facebook and join the conversation online through the Close Reads discussion group or on Instagram and Twitter at Close Reads Pods, and you can also get in touch with us via email by writing to closereadspodcast.gmail.com at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can get our email newsletter when you sign up at closereads.substack.com. So this is us signing off for Emma Furminger. I almost butchered it. Emma, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you, you nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> and for Jared Mack and for all of us at the Close Reads Podcast Network, I am Tim McIntosh. Thanks so much for listening and happy reading. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 